should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, 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 welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Jax, our producer, is in studio. It's Little Friday. <laughs> always get so excited you guys hear me come back in on a monday and i'm all manic and depressed and then by like little friday i'm super pumped up and excited i can hear it in your voice you're so perky (laughs) i am i am i'm i you know i it's not that like i get so tired of doing the radio show of course i love it you know i do it every day i'm so happy to do it but um man lately i just feel like all my time has been devoted to a lot of other projects. So I'm, I'm just like physically tired. <laughs> Stretch thin. Stretch thin. Uh, I wanted to at least, you know, give a couple minutes to a, a update on the Kentucky marriage license case. So, you know, it's interesting because after we had David uh, on and he was talking about how he was discriminated against, they wouldn't issue him the licenses. The U.S. Supreme Court, the Sixth Circuit, had actually uh, denied the stay by Kim Davis uh, and has ordered her to start issuing marriage licenses on Monday. So coming up on Monday. And it was uh, a gay couple who went in today to try to get the marriage licenses because it's like, okay, well, you're going to have to issue them on Monday anyway. What's a, you know, let's, uh, the, it's already been ruled on the principle here that you must issue the licenses. And, and she still denied them. <laughs> so is she going to get arrested? I don't know. Somebody's got to do something. Sweep they should her away. also order her to hire people other than her. Oh, Children. family? Yeah. That's creepy. Creepy, right? And this is, the, we're talking about Rowan, uh, Rowan County um, in Kentucky. And so if you're following the news, Kim Davis is the county clerk who has defiantly been, uh, you know, denying marriage licenses. And, and it's interesting because she's denying marriage licenses to not just uh, same-sex couples, but all couples. And so what are you doing? <laughs> I don't understand this martyr. Right. So let's see if on Monday she actually follows the law. Uh, anyway, so any plans for this weekend? Let's see. I'm working. Uh-huh. My girlfriend's coming back to town today. You're excited. Yeah, I haven't seen her in like 10 days. Wow. So but you... she calls me twice a day on her vacation. Oh, did you miss her? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed my free time. Lesbians, lesbians. Well, if you're not doing anything, you know, our next guest uh, has a couple concerts that you absolutely should check out. So I guess we should get our program started. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. 
Our next guest conducted the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus for about a decade before moving to Australia in 2013. I know San Francisco and the LGBTQ community was sad to see her go, but she's back for a little bit, and this time with a special project. With us in studio, I mean, I feel like it's been a party this week. We've had a couple of in-studio guests, but in studio today... Like flesh and all is <laughs> Kathleen McGuire, Dr. Kathleen McGuire, I should say, who's back to conduct a couple of concerts this weekend starring Federica von Stad, uh, and the program is called Street Re- Requiem. You know, ours are really hard for me, Kathleen. I'm sorry about that, Michelle. <laughs> but it's a benefit for Singers on the Street in which you founded this program, Singers on the Street. Let's let's start with that and tell us more about the organization. Yeah, well... Um Singers of the Street started as uh, inspired by a friend of mine, Jonathan Welsh in Australia, who had started a group in Australia called um, the Choir of uh, Hard Knocks. And um, he had visited San Francisco and saw the homelessness here and said, you really need to do this here in San Francisco. And I'd been kind of busy. and But uh, towards the end of my time with San Francisco Gamers Chorus, I was really feeling like I, it was time for me to do something. So I started Singers of the Street um, in 2010. And uh, so they're coming up on their um, fifth anniversary next week. So we thought it'd be a good time to do something big to celebrate that and also just to, you know, reignite the community uh, in terms of let's do something to help. How big is the choir? How many members? It's only about a dozen at the moment, but they've been through some transition and they've changed the time of day that they rehearse. So they're they're in the process of uh, recruiting again, but they will be performing this weekend with us. And most of the uh, the people who join or be, are, are part of Singers on the Street, again, uh, you had mentioned earlier, an organization or, or the choir, you know, includes uh, people who have been at risk or homeless at some point. Um, exactly. You know, let's let's talk about homelessness here in San Francisco, yeah. which is a touchy subject. It is, and you know, I, I lived here for ten years before I did anything about this. And one of my re- things I was reluctant about is like, well, what qualifies me to do this? I'm not a social worker. I'm a I'm a musician, mm-hmm. and I was quite scared about it. And um, Jonathan said, no, just do it. And here's the model. And um, and the thing I was scared about is the same thing everyone's scared about. It's like I'm one person. You know, I see people on the street. I never know what to say, what to do when I'm asked for money or anything. And now I know what to do because, you know, we're just talking about people here. You know, they've, um, you know, some are suffering from illness or poverty or, you know, not feeling safe at home. There's a lot of different reasons why people are uh, on the streets. And what I say to people when they say, I don't know what to do, it's like, say hello. (laughs) <laughs> it's really that simple. You know, right. Molly McKay, you know, uh-huh. with all her years of activism, she taught me that. She she said, you make change one person at a time. And, you know, you you shake someone's hand, you say hello, you look them in the eye and it's like, where I'm a person, you're a person, let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And quite often that is worth more to a person than a dollar. Well, let's see. You you lived here for about, or you conducted the gay men's course for about ten years. I don't know how many years you actually lived in San Francisco. Yeah, thirteen years. Thirteen years. Um, San Francisco had a ten-year homelessness uh, plan. I remember that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and this year, you know, that plan is expiring, Mm -hmm. and they were looking at the figures and the numbers, and the the numbers have not gone down. No, Uh, it's not exploded, but it still is considered, you know. A major issue here in mm. the San Francisco and Bay a area. disproportionate number of queer people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, I love what you said about just say hello. I feel like the attitude 
toward uh, you know the uh, toward homeless people here in the Bay Area has become much more hostile, uh, especially with the increase mm. of you know new development, uh, bigger companies who are working out of San Francisco. Yeah, I know what you're saying. What um, do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, no, I think part of it is that the, the you know San Francisco used to attract. Uh, well, in my experience, a lot of people who who came to the city to work in nonprofits um, to make the world a better place, and I think that perhaps that's the, been part of the shift. Um, the you know the, the the new people who are coming here are coming here for different reasons, um, and that's a huge generalization. And I'm not saying that all of the people who work for big companies no. don't care. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm just saying that 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 mindset is perhaps shifting a little in in, in San Francisco. I mean, when you, when you look at the number of people. Um, who can't afford to live in the Castro anymore. I mean, gay mecca is, is shifting. Right, right. It's kind of, you know, it's dwindling and then moving into d- different yeah, yeah. areas. And that's not, certainly not to say that all queer people are supportive of the homeless either. I mean, no. yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mind shift. And I think a lot of um, people become homeless coming to San Francisco looking for that sort of utopia place, people who feel unsafe in, in conservative places, and then they come to San Francisco, it's too expensive, they can't afford to live here, they don't know how to get a job, um, they turn to crime, they turn to drugs, and you end up with a lot of people living on the streets with nowhere else to go in a city where that has a good climate mm-hmm. most of mm-hmm. the year um, as opposed to some other places. So it's a very complex issue. Um, and I really hope the city can find a way to step up. It sounds like, I mean, I mean, look, you know, you're doing something, right? Like you're an everyday person. You're, yep. You've got a hand in, in making it uh, a little better. Mm-hmm. I think this, the, the city, the most recent effort in <laughs> addressing homelessness was, you know, painting a, a wall with the, with the, uh, the, I guess, the material that if you urinate on the wall, it, it bounces back on you. Wow. And that, that was to address, um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not just homeless no. people who are urinating oh, exactly. on the streets, right? Yeah. But that, that was uh, what the media had continued to report on. And, and, and most of what the city was referring to is the amount of money that they were spending cleaning up, um, you know, humans. And then I don't know if you heard, but Mayor Ed Lee basically publicly said, you know, by the time Super Bowl rolls around, these homeless people mm. have to go somewhere. I know. I heard about this. And, and this has also happened with the Olympics around the world. And in fact, um, for the London Olympics, they actually organized uh, a big homeless festival as part of the Olympics. And Singers of the Street produced a video that was shown at the London Olympics. With th- There were 300 performers involved in that, mm-hmm. you know, just as a, as a contrast to what had happened in other cities. So singers on the street, I mean, you know, and going back to treatment of homeless people and, um, you know, do you do you have personal relationships or relationships with uh, uh, each of your members and people who participate? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of that core group that was there at the beginning is still there and involved in other ways. Some have gone on to, you know, um, get jobs and and can't sing now. But, uh, you know, I'm v- very connected with all of them. Uh, Ashley Moore conducts them now. And, um, yeah, we're really looking to recruit more people to it. So if you if you see someone on the street, say, hey, free meal, f- come and sing Wednesday mornings. Um, and, yeah, they rehearse up at the uh, First Congregational Church on Polk Street. 
That is really cool. Yeah. I mean, that is so awesome and fantastic in what you're doing. And so you're back here this weekend conducting a couple of concerts that will benefit Singers on the Street. Yeah, it's actually singers of the street, just in case people are looking for us online. Yes, yeah. singers of the street. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen. I'm sorry. I did write that incorrectly. That's okay. They're often on the street, though. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but you see, San Francisco, it's so cool like that. You know, arts and, and, and entertainment, there are singers on the street. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and BART stations who yeah. are... So uh, the, can, yeah, and we're technically of and for the street. Yeah. Of and so. for the street. Okay. So there uh, there are a couple concerts, the 29th and the 30th. Mm-hmm. The 30th is in San Mateo, but the 29th right. is here in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, tell us where. Yeah, so it'll be at Old First Presbyterian Church, 7 p.m. Saturday night, starring um, Frederica von Stader. We have a choir of about 70 people um, and an orchestra, and we're doing Street Requiem, which I co-composed with uh, Andy Payne and Jonathan Welsh. And Jonathan was the one who inspired Singers of the Street to begin with and came up with this idea about having a piece of music to honour anyone who's died on the street as an innocent, whether through homelessness, illness, poverty, war, crime, violence... Um, so it, it encompasses a lot, um, but it, and it's a very uh, eclectic piece, um, and you know it's not your usual requiem. It's not steeped in sort of that Christian tradition so much, and uh, you know it has didgeridoo, it has an Arabic chant, it has you know pop rock sort of feel. I mean, it has a bit bit of everything. Af- I went to South Africa and was inspired by the story of um, Hector Peterson who died in Soweto in 1976. So there's an anthem of empowerment for children on the streets. Um, so it really encompasses a lot. And, um, yeah, I think people will really like it. And Singers of the Street's going to sing on their own as well. So they're going to so do cool. a set. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is so cool. I, I would really love to go. Um, and I think I, I encourage everyone who's tuning in right now to seek out tickets if you're here in the Bay Area. we got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Dr. Kathleen McGuire. Don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. The inspirational Street Requiem mourns the innocents who've died on the street, but also offers hope for the future to those who are struggling. Street Requiem premieres in California on Saturday, August 29, 7pm, at Old First Presbyterian Church in San Francisco, and on Sunday, August 30, 2pm, at the Congregational Church of San Mateo. 
Tickets from only $15 are available at streetrequiem.blogspot.com streetrequiem.blogspot.com Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Oh. Hello. <laughs> We're back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this little Friday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, and with us in studio is Dr. Kathleen McGuire. We were just uh, were chatting about her amazing, awesome project in which it's like, I love this. You know, we've been focusing on art um, the last couple of days. And uh, yesterday we had a gentleman who did a, an installation, an art installation featuring donated blood in order to make a bold statement about the ban on men who have sex with men uh, and a blood donation policy, right? And then we, here we have you where in your art and your art form and, and, and uh, just kind of making a statement about uh, the human race, just being human and, yeah. and, and doing something to support someone else. Um, you know, when I, 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 I think and I wanted to ask you in, in terms of like, you know, putting this out there and talking about uh, your project, Street Requiem, or the concert, uh, and the organization, Singers of the Street, is there a statement that, you know, you, you would like for people to get? Um, I, I actually think um, one of the biggest problems with homelessness everywhere in the world is fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and this is actually one of the things we address in in Street Requiem is this fear. You know, what 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 are you afraid of when you see somebody who's on the street? I mean, yes, some people are screaming out because they're mentally ill mm. uh, and high on drugs or whatever. But beyond that, what is the fear? Is it the fear that you're one check away, one paycheck away from being on the street yourself? Oh. Um, and and I think in our you know present sort of somewhat volatile economy um there is a fear there there's also that sort of us and them fear it's mm-hmm. like um i don't know how to relate to somebody who's who's on the street and and uh you know it's it it seems so far away yet it's right there on my doorstep so i think if if we can do something about the fear and that's what this the, the these music groups are about and there are actually uh, homeless choirs now all around the world, we prefer to call them street street choirs, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, in London, in Berlin, in Canada, in Australia. Um, and in fact, um, I'm the co-director now of the School of Hard Knocks in Australia, and we have programs in multiple cities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, singing in a choir does so many things for for a person. Uh, you know, it, it improves your well being and self esteem. But there's also the group thing, and I have I've had singers who say to me. This is the only time in my week where somebody cares if I show up. It's the only time in my week where somebody knows my name and uses it. And that is huge. And then there's the outward part of it too because we're performance focused as opposed to music therapy that is just about the experience. And we're, so we're very um, focused on people getting together and, do, and putting on a concert in a professional venue with professional guests and professional support because um, that then – sends a very strong message. And in the same way, the gay choral movement 
has been successful in breaking down barriers in terms of, you know, if you know somebody, you're not going to be so scared of them. And it's like that with homelessness. It's like when, when everyone puts on their, their T-shirt, whether they're a supporter or somebody who's living on the street, they just look the same. They're just people, you know. And, and that's the message, I think, is just, um, you know, get to know somebody who's living on the street. And, and, and if, we, if everybody did that, it would start to make a difference. And that then affects the way people vote and the way cities spend their money. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's just kind of like a, a trickle effect. I feel like I just got a, um, I just sat in a class somewhere and was like, oh my gosh, this professor's so <laughs> Well, I've awesome. learned this. You know, I haven't studied this. I've just learned mm-hmm. from people on the street. Experiences. Yeah. And that was, you know, just a great segue to my next question in, in, in making change, like just through... Uh, you know, what you're doing today. I mean, obviously you do truly feel and have experience that you've made a change in someone's life. Um, and when we talk about like homelessness, I, I, I you know, wonder it, it's got to uplift someone to, to feel, to feel supported and then to move forward in their life. Exactly. Yeah. And we've seen people who've gone on to, um, you know, I remember one guy after three rehearsals, he said, I feel so good singing in this group. I'm going to look for housing. And oh. he did. Uh, another guy who was living in his car and, and depressed and suicidal and he came and started singing again, had a glorious voice and, and you know, is now employed, has a, has a partner and he's doing great. Uh, we've had people who've po- um, published books of poetry, somebody else who has um, um, had an art installation right now in the San Francisco library. Wow. Um, yeah, so, so there's some really um, great stories. Um, somebody else who went on and finished a good degree um, so these are people who uh, just needed that extra little bit of support to say, hey, you know, you're, you're a great person and you have great skills. But it's not about rehabilitation. That's, that's, that comes from them. Mm-hmm. What we're offering is a safe place to come and sing, share a meal and, um, and you know, be part of something that, that's really, you know, fun and, and a great experience. Well, see, that just makes me feel like you're, you're such an incredible person, and and uh, I know you for from your work. But what about you personally? Um, you know, you you lived in San Francisco for 13 years. We know that you moved to Australia. It, was it for a big project or? Um, well, I moved to back to Australia for mainly personal reasons um, to do with my family and um, um, some struggles that were happening, and you know, in that which I don't want to go yeah, into. No, no worries. But. Um, yeah, it was very difficult to leave because, you know, this is my home. I'm a U.S. citizen now. I have a I have a place I rent. You know, I'm one of those awful landlords in the Castro. I didn't raise my rent, people, just so you know. Oh, um, yay. Yeah. And um, but um, so this is my second home. So but yeah, it's been great being back in Australia. But but also to work with Jonathan Welsh and the School of Hard Knocks has been really, you know, really fantastic. I have a partner in Australia now. So. Um, yeah, but it's it's really great to come back and visit whenever I can and to see so many people from so many choirs get behind this project and the Community Women's Orchestra. You know, it's it's a really great event. And, and Frederica von Stata, she sang um, the U.S. premiere was in, in January in Texas um, and it launched the Dallas Street Choir. And Frederica was part of that. And now she's agreed to come and do this with us here, which is fantastic. It's so cool. Do you think that you could, uh, you know, maybe belt out a couple things to the level of Frederica? Uh, Maybe? Try? 
No, no. You're so. a conductor. You're not an opera singer. Well, I could, but I don't have the music in front no. of me. But, but there is one line in this, and it just something you said um, really struck with me. And one, because one, it's a combination. There's some Latin, there's some English, there's African language, and all sorts of different languages in this. But there's one line that uh, towards the beginning it says, "What is it that scares you when it's change I'm looking for?" And um, you know, and that's from the voice of the person on the street, and the choir sings it, and it has that double meaning. You know, I'm looking for change as in cash, but I'm also looking for change as in let's make the world a better place. Wow. And that's really what this whole piece is all about. And and it's to, to honour the people who've died, but it's also to just say, you know, what have we done to make this happen in, in a country that has so much wealth? When we look at what we spend on elections alone, that could solve poverty in this country. Um and uh, and it's not just this country; it's happening around the world, um, and, around the world, and that. And we need to start taking care of each other. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. And there was, um, you know, when you said that, I was like, you know, it's almost like it's almost like uh, some of us entered church for re- refuge, or you know, for for to feel safe. And uh, it just so happens that the concert in San Francisco it will be at a church. Was that intentional? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and also because the churches have been really embraced uh, this project and said, yes, you can come and use our facilities for free. Um, so, and, you know, and, they have, and that sounds fantastic too. Um, so, yes, we're going to be at Old First Presbyterian Church on Saturday night in San Francisco at 7 p.m. And then on Sunday in San Mateo, the Congregational Church of San Mateo, uh, which is a newly refurbished place. I actually worked there. Um, and helped re, um, the design of, of the new um, sanctuary, which is fantastic. We rehearsed there last night, and it was just glorious. How are rehearsals going? Probably oh, it's, super it's, fun. It's amazing. You know, we had a bit potluck, so all these people, there's people coming up from San Jose from the Coral Project, um, and we've got a lot of people from you know San Francisco as well. So it's a, it's a real community effort, and uh, it's just really warmed my heart to see how many people wanted to get behind this. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad to hear that, especially... You know, when you even when you read the entertainment section of like newspapers or or media blogs today, they're always more interested in reporting on, I don't know, the more techie side of things yeah. and art and music. I wanted to get your opinion on, um, you know, why music and art is still so important in our lives, and and obviously you've been saying it mm. for the last half hour. Well, it in, can in fact, be a better you know, place. In, in terms of the tech side of things, there have been recent studies that show that music stimulates all of your brain in a way that nothing else does. So if you um, you know actually actually participate in music, um, playing an instrument or singing. Um, it actually makes you healthier and smarter. And this is a scientific fact now. Um, those of us who've been doing it for years already knew that. <laughs> I was just, just going to say, well, hands down, I know you're definitely smarter. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's a chicken and egg thing. But, you know, even people older in their lives, if they start playing, participating in music, it can actually affect you physically, emotionally, and mentally in really positive ways that nothing else can. And this is a scientifically proven fact now. Wow, that yeah, not, <laughs> they can be smart in the computers and stuff, but uh, but yeah. you know, in music so can all be those smart tech well. people out there, they need to join a choir. They do need to join a <laughs> choir or listen to some music. Yeah. I I listen to too much talk uh, radio, so that's probably why I'm so depressed and melancholy. Oh, I don't know. I listen to talk radio in the car because I kind of get a little sick of music sometimes. Uh. <laughs> but don't tell anyone. No, no, no. No one's listening. No one's listening. Okay, we're running. We're running low on time, and I want to leave a, a minute or two. To, uh, 
for people to listen to a little bit, you brought us a CD. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's the music that obviously will be performed uh, this That's weekend. Right. And so again, let, let's let everyone know if you're in the San Francisco area or San, you want to go to the San Francisco concert, it's the 29th. Uh, where can people get tickets? They can get tickets at uh, streetrequiem.blogspot.com and click on the tickets tab. Um, there are also tickets available at the door. And, um, yeah, and I forgot to mention Andy Payne, who's one of the three composers, um, is actually here in San Francisco with his wife, and they'll be performing as well, which is fantastic, wow. from Australia. Wow, yeah. that's so great. That's so great. And uh, and everyone's uh, allowed to come, children, families. Oh, yeah, families. it's suitable for everyone. In fact, um, my partner's kids know this off by heart as a sing-along to them when they come along. And so they're, they're you know, the, the two youngest, five and 11, um, yeah, they love, they love singing this. Yeah, it's very accessible. That is so, so, so great. It's been awesome chatting with you and catching up and uh, welcome back to the Bay for, for a little bit. Thank you. And, uh, you know, enjoy after the concert. And I mean, enjoy the concert. You're going to have a lot of fun, but yeah. also, you know, a break after. I, I, I believe you're going to... I'm going camping, yeah. To camp. And catching up with a lot of friends. But it's really great to, to, be, to be on your show, Michelle. It's good to see you again. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to also post that information where you can get tickets up on the website. So don't worry about that. Enjoy the music. When we come back, we're going to talk about intersex babies. So don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time. So you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude, um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. 
and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this little Friday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our next guest is a BuzzFeed uh, reporter and a writer who had a great article out the other day addressing intersex babies and whether doctors should operate on them. So let's welcome Azine Gouraisi. Azine, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. I, I, as, as far as the headline goes, you know, should doctors operate on intersex babies? And right away, in my mind, I said, no, they should not. Um, and, uh, you know, you had a great article out in which you had discussed a, an actual situation. But um, let's, you know, maybe we could start with, with that very grand, vague question, whether doctors should be able to operate on intersex babies. Right. So um, basically the um, standard of practice in medicine sort of started in uh, the late 50s, early 60s um, at Johns Hopkins University. There was a guy named John Money who um, sort of thought that babies are born as a clean slate. Um, he, he came up with the idea of gender identity in the first place. Like that, that did not, those words did not exist before Money sort of um, came up with them. Um, and his theory was that um, gender identity did not form until about um, the first two and a half years of a baby's life. Um, and he was very interested in um, intersex babies and, and what that meant for, for babies where they were not um, born clearly as one sex or the other. Um, so he actually ended up send, setting up this intersex clinic at Johns Hopkins um, that started this paradigm of um, assigning sex to um, intersex babies at birth, um, basically insisting that their parents not tell them about the surgeries, and um, raising them as either a boy or a girl, and, and his theory was that you could do that and um, it would turn out fine. Mm-hmm. And just for those who might be tuning in, you know, just now, or those who may not understand intersex at all, I think you kind of covered it, uh, you know, but basically what intersex means is that the baby has both male and female anatomy, right? Yeah. So it's, I mean, there's a wide range of what um, really falls under the definition of intersex, and uh, doctors actually refer to them as disorders of sexual development um, or differences of sexual development. Um, there's some estimates that it's roughly one in every 2,000 babies, um, and they can fall anywhere along the spectrum from male to female. So um, there's basically many, many different variations. It's not always um, an even split of sort of fully male and fully male anatomy. There's sort of a lot along the way. And some doctors actually argue that, that the rate could actually be much higher, that it could be closer to one in 100 um, if you include things that are... Um, I, some might say a little bit more minor of um, intersex traits, such as um, something called a hypospadia, which is um, basically a where when the um, pee hole of mm-hmm. the of the boy is sort of below the penis and not at the end. Um, that's 
technically is, is um, an intersex trait, um, but, you know, might other, you know, by societally, they might not characterize it as, um, as intersex. Speaking of society and, you know, throwing parents in there, parents, uh, when you're a baby, they make pretty much all the decisions for you. And just kind of with the work that you did for this article, I mean, most parents, uh, you know, what, it, what is their reaction um, when they realize that their baby is intersex? Right. So I talked to a lot of doctors for the piece, and um, they were very strong on the point that parents are always, are, are more often than not, I should say, um, just looking for doctors to sort of help them fix the situation. They're freaked out. Um, they want a quote-unquote normal baby, and they have a surgeon on hand who um, presents this um, sort of fix. Um you know, the advocates on the other side who oppose the surgeries will say that, well, maybe the fix shouldn't be presented as such. It shouldn't be presented as a fix in the first place, that, you know, we should be um, sort of medically encouraging parents to, to better accept um, the differences that their, their infant is born with and then be able to make those decisions later on in life about uh, possibly having surgery done. And medically, I mean, doctors have been performing genital surgeries on intersex babies and uh, I guess going with, you know, what the parents want. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, that, that also it's like interesting because it's almost as if some parents might go to the doctor to say, what should I do? I wonder if, you know, because of where we're at today, if, if, if that attitude might shift as well as, you know, as far as leaving it in the doctor's hands. Right. So um, I talked to a couple of doctors who actually work at, um, one in particular at UCSF, who um, works with like a DSD clinic where they have, you know, a therapist on board, a doctor, a geneticist, a social worker. And they all sort of sit together and consult and really work with the parents to um, better make sense of their child's diagnosis and sort of present them with the options. Um, and I, he did mention that there are there, he has seen a slight change. I mean, you know, culturally we are changing. People are becoming more and more aware of the many different ways to embody gender, and that I mean, the intersex advocates are would strongly hope is is eventually going to um, mean the same thing for understanding that that sex is also uh, more of a spectrum than we thought. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that in the article you also bring up, you know, cultural moments like uh, now we're hearing a lot of, of trans uh, people, you know, they're getting a lot of exposure and also trans issues. Of course, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, Laverne Cox, Janet Mock, just some some big celebrities here who are bringing the conversation about gender to the forefront. Um I I th I think that it's helping. I mean, just last night I, I was having, you know, wine with with someone who just said, "You remember those days when it was easier to just say you were a boy or a girl?" Uh, I couldn't tell if that was an offensive <laughs> comment or not. Um, but do you think you know? Also, our dialogue can change in in that everyone will understand uh, binary and uh, in and also include intersex into that conversation and not just stop at trans issues. Right. I mean, that's definitely something that the advocates all said to me was that they found um, the gains that the, the trans community has been making in recent years um, really encouraging. And of course, those gains are 
uh, few and totally pale in comparison to the struggles that trans people still face. And I think um, intersex really has a long way to go. And I think having the um, surgery to sort of rally around and fight against is a, is a, is a big point for them. Um, they think that that really needs to come first. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it will help if doctors recognize that uh, there's sort of this attitude coming from the community in general. But mm-hmm. that's, that's another hard thing is that, you know, it's hard to say what one person might want versus another. Um, and the doctors will say that there have not been, you know, any rigorous scientific studies that show that people who don't have surgery lead happier lives, for example, long-term than uh, people who did. Um, and... I mean, that's the scientific argument, and it's fair, but the activists will say, look, this isn't an issue of um, of outcomes at all. This is an issue of bodily autonomy, and we should be able to make our own choices. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and these shouldn't be choices that are shaped by um, opinions in the medical field, opinions from parents, um, you know, before these kids are allowed to make their own decisions. Michelle Miel, we're speaking with Azian Garesi. She has an article on BuzzFeed, and uh, we're discussing whether doctors should perform surgery on intersex babies. You included in the article actually a story about MC that just uh, broke my heart. You know, a lot of times when we, even even hearing transgender stories, right, we hear about abandonment from uh, families. And so, you know, I think that it's really important that you included that in the article in the dialogue that intersex babies are sometimes abandoned as well. Yeah, so MC was um, already, there aren't actually too many details out about um, his family because there is currently a pending lawsuit. Um, but MC was born, um, I think within about two months of being born, his um, father had abandoned the family. Um, the mother also then um, ended up uh, giving up MC uh, over to the state of South Carolina where he lives. Um, so basically when he, and he was born with um, a sort of very severe form of intersex called overtesticular disorder of sexual development. And that's very rare. It's one in every 20,000 babies um, are born, and it's basically split right down the middle. Um, and he, because he was given up by his parents, um, the decisions about his medical care were mostly made by the state of South Carolina. Um, his mom was also present, but um, the litigants will say that they, she was largely um, not really involved in the decision-making. So he really... I mean, he was uh, had this disorder, and the doctors basically presented the option of um, surgically operating on him and assigning him as a girl. Um, he was assigned as a girl. The, the state agreed he was assigned as a girl, um, had all of his male anatomy removed, and then a few months later he was adopted by um, these parents, the Crawfords, who are now... Um, now MC is about 10 years old, and they are suing the state um, and the hospital because he's he's now living as a boy, and um, they're upset that the surgery happened at all. And, and they will say that it's not about whether or not um, they had gotten the gender right. You know, uh, it was about the fact that they did the surgery at all with um, very little in terms of consent. 
which pretty much, you know, uh, <laughs> sums up the point of the article and the answer to whether doctors should perform surgeries on inter- intersex babies. Uh, that answer is what we said earlier. is It's no. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I can't really say that. Um, <laughs> I, but. Yeah, it's hard. Certainly a lot of, I mean, there's, it's hard, right? Like there are reasons that these doctors, I mean, especially the doctors I spoke to, the, the more, I spoke to like some of the more progressive doctors that were really understanding about um, what the parents are going through and what the kids are going through. And they really think that they're acting in their patient's best interest all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But they just, they're with it, working within the frame of medicine. And so it's sort of not comparing apples to apples because, um, you know, these people, it's their lives and they, the, the people who are really fighting for the surgeries to end um, are not worrying about outcomes. They're, they're worrying about choice and it's their choice, right? right. So right. Um, you, can't, you can't really fight that. We're winding it down on time, Zine, and thank you so much for being with us and, and doing this extensive article. I think it's one of the best articles ever written on intersex. Um, okay. m- my last question for you, you know, intersex as, as an identity, and so for those uh, who become adults uh, and are intersex, you know, there there is a community out there that they absolutely identify as intersex instead of making the decision between male and female. Um, so I would say that, uh, you know, your article also beautifully said that that's that's okay too yeah I mean I think that um you know every person should be able to live their lives the way that they identify and that's not I mean that's the whole problem right right with sort of the reasons why these surgeries exist in the first place are born out of social expectations around sex and gender and the more that those sort of begin to loosen, um, you know, the more that people can um, fully embody their identities and know that others will accept that, the less problems there'll be on this front. Azine Garacy, she has an article out on BuzzFeed. You can check it out uh, by doing a search Born In Between. I'll also post a link up to uh, our website just so that you guys can check it out. I think, again, like I said, it was it was a great article, probably the best, one of the best articles I've read on intersex issues. Azine, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Michelle Miao Show continues after this. Jax and I close down the uh, show, and then we're going to end with playing music from Street Requiem. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, 
Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this little Friday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Jax, our producer, is in studio. Another wonderful show down. Great job, producers. Great job, team. <laughs> we say team. Thanks, I mean, coach. Right? We, we say team. You know, we actually haven't even introduced our, our new producer, Fong, uh, who will be taking over duties for our Jacks here, who is going on a sabbatical. I like to say sabbatical. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah. It's right, it makes, right? It sounds adventurous. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I think I'm like going to like travel the world. <laughs> Ja- well, you, say you might. You might. I might. Right. I you're, might. you're leaving it uh, open ended. You're you're taking care of yourself. You know, when people say that, they yeah. automatically go to, Is, has she gone crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Something's going on that I'm not allowed to ask about. That's yeah. what I think. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, we all need uh, breaks, and uh, I always think that when you when you do something for so long and it's the same thing that you do over and over and over that's not healthy not that we work jacks that hard (laughs) (laughs) um i think you should go camping with your girlfriend i am going camping with my dad and my brother yeah that's gonna be fun do they hunt um they probably have hunted but no we're not going to oh that's good i was going to say no i'm not a hunter okay good okay 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 Okay, good um (laughs) uh, i thought we had you know a great week of of shows and content and you know i keep bringing up the stuff in kentucky we we joke around about what's going on in kentucky a little bit kim davis and her clan Uh, (laughs) i guess i shouldn't say that either well her family that works for Rowan County, uh, Kim Davis being the county clerk who has defiantly denied marriage licenses to people in, in, in Rowan County, Kentucky, just because of her personal beliefs. I, you know, the part that um, makes me upset is that these people then turn around and say, we should have the freedom to exercise our belief. So your belief means that you, you discriminate against someone? It doesn't make any sense, the argument, because yeah. if you're going to, for one, argue that being gay is a choice, which is not, but if you were going to argue that, which these people usually do, your religion is a choice. Right. And you're, you're saying that you, have, you want the right to choose. They're saying they're pro-choice, but they don't mean that. Um, it doesn't make any sense. It's all backwards, and it's so contradictory. Well, let's see. Like I said, well, let's see what she does uh, Monday when the Supreme Court has demanded she start issuing marriage licenses starting Monday. So if she continues to, you know, break the law, I would like to see her be handcuffed or fired somehow. I don't know how you remove 
county clerks. I think it is I the city removed them. She should look for a new job. Yeah, she could go and work at a uh, Christian bookstore with her sons, go. right? The clan. The clan. <laughs> I didn't mean, I'm you just know. spitting out bookstore names here. <laughs> um and then you know we did a bunch of uh, we did a bunch of our uh, interviews with artists and it's really awesome because artists actually are they're super smart people like <laughs> you think these days oh the only smart people that there there are, are people behind a computer but you know Dr Kathleen McGuire for example weaving in politics and and social issues into music and not just any music it's not like she's a pop star you know she's a conductor and for a choir (laughs) these artists we've been talking to are very Mm well-rounded they're activists and they're involved and they're informed and then they are creators and they artists but yeah yeah um but i I would have to say the fascinating interview that i had uh with jordan eagles and the blood-stained you know art installation that he created in order to make a bold statement against the ban on uh, blood donation and men who have sex with men. Man, that's just thinking so outside the box. And we just need more of that versus, okay, I'm going to go on change.org and create a petition. <laughs> what, you haven't done that? I Yeah, I've <laughs> definitely seen people. I just, on Facebook, being like, I just signed this petition yeah, online. Right. It's like, okay, well, do some more. Right. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So let's wrap up the show with uh, maybe some uh, Lesga news. Lesla news. Lesga news? (laughs) Are you trying to get Lesga news? No, I should say Lesla news for lesbian news. No, that doesn't work. Well, hashtag Lesga news. (laughs) We kind of glazed over it yesterday, but it was Women's Equality Day, and it was a reference to, you know, the historical date of um, when women gain the right to vote. And uh, I'm kind of going through something, you know, and I think that I can talk about this here on my show, but I've mentioned before I'm on the board for San Francisco Pride. And so, uh, you know, election for that is mid-September. I've been really crazy. I found myself in a political position and I, I did. I don't want to get into politics. I, 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 I'm not that kind of a I I mean but then if you're a feminist you are political don't you think yes I do so I kind of have a problem with you know the fact that uh, a majority of the new of the board candidates are cisgender white gay men who you know use the diversity piece as a as as an argument to why they should but people should vote for them and in the diversity argument, they include women in that. Like they want to see more, you know, participation with women and people of color. Wait, how do they use it if they are white cisgendered? Exactly. And so I, you know, I've been asked to step into a leadership role uh, for San Francisco Pride. But they, the, the, the inquiry came with, you know, as a co-situation with another white cisgender man. And I just want to put it out there. You know, when women gained the right to vote, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't go down like this. You can, you have the right to vote now if you're accompanied by your husband or a man or, you know, and I just feel that, uh, I want to put it out there publicly that we live in this world where men think that women can't do it on their own. 
And I just want to, I just want to say I'm extremely highly qualified to be in leadership position without having a man run with me. Yes. And I should say we should insert Beyonce. Who runs the world? <laughs> Girls. <laughs> women. We should say women. So, you know, I, I don't know how you feel. And I know we're about 10 years apart and, and uh, you're going to be gone for a while. I won't be able to chat with you. And, and, and while we wrap this up, let's let's talk about girl power. Um, do you feel, you know, empowered in your community? In my community as in what, which community? I guess my like age, my... Yeah, all of it. I mean, your, your world... Uh, yes and no. Um, mm-hmm. Especially working in a male-dominated industry, the uh, restaurant world. Uh, no, well, yes, the re- no, 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 not the restaurant world, but I mean the media, media yes. industry, right? Uh, completely male-dominated, Absolutely. created by men for men. Yes, um, I, 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 I totally, totally understand what you're saying, and and then you know you do a lot of video production. I always feel that like men, some men. I shouldn't say all men, but some men will kind of be like, we could have done this. Oh, yeah. Well, the (laughs) technology is male-dominated, and you. I remember doing a study in school about advertising and Mm -hmm. looking at which people they use in their advertising. Technology uses guys to advertise technology. So I I did an internship with a sports team, and you stand around a control room, and it's just just a bunch of guys talking shop about technology. <laughs> and like, I was always the only female in there. Uh, the director one time introduced me to the only other female camera woman, camera woman and said, oh look, the ceiling is broken. <laughs> <laughs> Referring to the glass ceiling that was still intact. They're like, Jax, you're, you're a girl, right? Right? Yeah, you're really tall, I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, look, look downstairs, I mean, uh, our entire television production exactly cat they're all they're all men mm-hmm. they're all they men they are all men <laughs> <laughs> and so you know that's uh that leads me to just kind of yes there's been a lot of progress in terms of on paper progress regarding women but you know that was my question to Lily Tomlin and I said to her as a 75 year old feminist I kind of feel like I wish I grew up when you grew up you know cuz the women the feminists then they had something to fight for like they had they had women's rights to fight for. They had queer rights to fight for. They fought alongside gay men who were dying of HIV AIDS. Um, and then I don't, I'm not sure what the feminists today are fighting for. Uh, it, it, it's unclear to me. But then you and I are sitting here talking about the fact that, you know, there are a lot of industries that are still male dominated. I, I think that that's what we fight for is more visibility. Yes, I think everything that they used to fight for is still relevant and even though they've achieved so much and laws have been passed it's not there just the same as we still have racism Mm -hmm. there's still sexism and that's not going away anytime soon Mm -hmm. i never understood that i met someone last night and i got into an argument with her because uh she was a black woman and she said as a black woman i've never been discriminated against and I thought that that was like, I, I was like, wait, what? And she's like, I've just been handed everything. She obviously came from money and, and class. Um, but uh, th- there's everything wrong in that statement. And being a woman, being being of color, which, you know, we'll have a longer discussion next time you come back. Yes. I recently yelled at a gentleman in a bar because he made sexist remarks and I you think, did? Yeah. I think being complacent is the worst thing you can do. 
and letting anyone talk down to you or discriminate against you. What'd you say? Well, he made a comment against, he said I could just hit a woman because some girl walked by his pool game. And he said that out loud in public and I wasn't having it. Did you say, what did you say? Yeah, I did. And I got in his face and I was like, how are you going to say that in public in front of a bar full of women? Yeah. What a douche. I mean, a douche. Douche is the word. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, you know, there's a place in time when you maybe shouldn't say something if your safety is concerned. But I think the guys that stare at you or they comment at you or wherever you are and you feel discriminated against, I think you need to say something because how is anything going to change? Right. And that is what we shall do on Women's Equality Day and moving forward because it's Women's Equality Day every day, everyone. More people were posting about National Dog Day. I know. I, I didn't was see like, any Women Equality posts on like, my Facebook Should friends. I put a picture, like a collage of me and a dog and be like, it's us day. <laughs> we're both empowered. <laughs> hey, Jax, it's been so wonderful having you here on the show and working with us. And so have a great sabbatical and hopefully you'll return to us safe and, and, uh, and, and all suntanned or something yes i'll be listening monday through friday 4 p.m to <laughs> right. the michelle meow show make right. sure everything's going all right yeah, yeah out there in the the boonies <laughs> and and that wraps it up guys so we'll be back tomorrow at four o'clock pacific standard time but not we uh john zipper of commonwealth club will be broadcasting his week-to-week political roundtable talk until next week my friends it's the michelle meow show